Hello everybody, I'm Dane Gentry. Hope everyone's doing well. Today I'm going to tell a little story. Um, these episodes seem to be doing well, so everybody knows I already, that I went to prison and all this. So um, I went in in 98. In 99, they sent me to an annex. And annex is like a work camp where you can go in and um, they let you go out in the community and, and work and these types of things. And um, <clears throat> Excuse me. I... Uh, was there and I'd been in there about 60 days or something like that. And, um, the, the place it was, it's called technical violators camp. And so the whole idea was, is that you would get to go there for 120 days, uh, be released and get to go back home, uh, back out on probation again. Basically you would start it over. Um, so I was there and uh, I'd been there about 60 days and it was on a Friday. And one of the counselors, when I came in from working, called me into the, uh, his office and he said, Unfortunately, Mr. Gentry, uh, we're going to have to send you back across the fence. Uh, you're not a technical violator. Because what had happened was I went on the run. Uh, when I violated my probation. I went to Texas and I actually called a, another uh, felony case out there. So um, that um, means that I was not a technical violator. So uh, they said they was going to send me back across the fence, which means they was going to send me back to the compound. So, you know, at this time, I was, like I said before, I was just real smart, man. You know, I was, I was real bright. I had some of the greatest ideas, you know, most addicts do when you're living that lifestyle. And so I decided that I was going to escape and screw them people. You know, who were they to put me back across the fence after I'd been here six days, supposed to go home in 60 more days, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I got with this other guy that, you know, you had somewhat befriended in there or what have you. And, um, we decided that on Monday, if I was still there and they let me go out, that by God, we was going to run away. And uh, come Monday, and me and him weren't even on the same the same work crew, what was kind of crazy, but come Monday that morning, they sent us out together. So what it is, is you would go, I don't remember what we were doing. I think we was picking up trash on the side of the road or something like that. But um, you would go to a little church or somewhere and eat lunch. And so, uh, like, we would be around there by ourselves, and the officers – they didn't have no gun or anything. They just had a little walkie-talkie on them, and they would go uh, around front. And so you had about 30 minutes, about a 30-minute head start. And so that's what we did. And we decided that we was going to run off. And uh, come to find out, there was another guy who was going to do the same thing, but he had a life sentence. And why he was at Annex, I, I don't know. So uh, lunchtime came, you know, and uh, so we made our big break for it. And didn't know where we was at. We was in a little county, and I didn't know much about it. I knew the direction home. That's about, that's about all I knew. But um, so we um, we take off and we run. There's a wood line. That's what we're making beeline for. We're running and we get to the wood line and we keep on running. Well, the wood line wasn't but about I don't know forty yards thick or something. Then you come out into wide open cornfields as far as you could see. So now what are we going to do? Because we knew they was going to be looking for us. We was going to be way out in open. So um, the one guy that went with us. I told him to go on his own. He was whatever, and he did. And so me and this kid, the other guy, we uh, we run through these cornfields, and we see some power lines. And usually around power lines, the uh, it's real thick. There's a lot, of, a lot of woods, a lot of weeds and stuff growed up around it. And then so um, that's what we did. We got we hit in it, and we could hear them coming. And, um, and then we we hear a helicopter. And helicopter's coming, and it's it's flying over real close, and. I'm thinking, man, they're going to see us. We covered ourselves up with leaves and stuff. We're here pretty good. Um, then the little Cessna airplane started flying back and forth all day, all day. 
I don't know why the dogs never did came, uh, never, excuse me, never did come to us. Um, but they didn't. And, uh, uh, we, uh, stayed there, uh, it's summertime, it's in June, right for my brother's birthday. And, um, the flame kept flying all day long. It got dark finally, you know, what, about nine o'clock, eight forty-five, and we don't have a watch. And, uh, so when it got dark, we thought it'd be good. We had some, some pots and we thought it'd be good to smoke a joint. And of course it made me paranoid. And, but anyway, we waited till about midnight and we decided we was going to come out of there and we didn't know where we was going to go, what we was going to do. So we just picked a direction and started walking. And so we're going and, uh, the man hunts on for us, you know, and it's really because the guy had a life sentence and he wanted us too, but that guy had a murder charge. And so they was really looking for him. And, um, so we go on and, um, we, uh, find some more woods. There's a, there's a barbed wire fence there and we're going to go under it. Well, this barbed wire fence was electric and I didn't know it. And so, uh, I go to climb under it and I was all soaking wet from the dew on the grass and this thing hit me in the back and shocked me and boy, it knocked me straight to the ground. I was like crawling under it, you know, or whatever. And so of course everybody got a good laugh about that. And man, we we're just so thirsty and all this stuff have nothing to drink. And, uh, we just keep walking and, uh, we get on what's called a logging trail. I don't know if most of y'all know what that is, but it's just a trail that's been there where they logged it and like vehicles can go through. It's kind of growed up and them kind of things. And we just started following it. And, um, about daylight, we came up to a house that was there and, um, it looked to me as like a Mennonite house or Amish, uh, it just had that look to it. But then I seen, saw the, uh, electric lines run to it. So I knew it wasn't. So I went over there and started looking around. Wasn't nothing in there. There was like a chair in the living room or something. So no one lived in the house. And so we opened the door and it, it was open. So we go in and uh, there's a refrigerator in there, uh, air conditioner and all this stuff. And so open the refrigerator up. We're hungry and there's not not even a cracker in the refrigerator, but it's full of beer and a bottle of vodka. So we decided it'd be a good idea to get drunk. And that's what we do. And we pass out and wake up and it's dark. We done passed out and slept all day in this house. So we don't know whose it is. They could have done come here and, and done whatever. And so, um, we sit in there all night and, uh, next morning I was like, it was about three o'clock in the morning. And I said, that's it, man. I got to get me something to eat and we're going to go get something to eat. And I said, man, I don't want to, I really don't want to go in nobody's house or anything like that. But if we do, man, we're just going to get some food and that's it. And we're not going to be stealing nothing from nobody. And so we go and there's this really big Creek and, there's a house there and there's a little dog out back and this dog is yap, 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 barking and barking and barking. We sit there for probably about 30 minutes and I'm thinking, man, there's no way somebody's in that house. They didn't come out there and told that dog shut up or we'd heard somebody holler or something, you know? And, uh, so, uh, we decided we're going to cross this Creek and this is what we're going to do. We're going to go and get us something to eat. And so we go up to the house and I kind of look in there. There's like some boxes, it's like someone was either moving out or had just moved in and, um, I knock on the door and nobody answers and I try the door and it, it opens, but there's a chain on it. Um, well, about that time, somebody unlocks the chain and I don't know what to do now. I'm kind of stunned. This woman opens the door and she's standing there and she's got on a cutoff t-shirt and a pair of underwear. And that's all she's got on. This woman don't scream, don't holler, don't do anything. And the guy that's with me, he took off running. Well, I stayed there and I said, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't know nobody was here. Basically, you know, and I said, look, uh, we're the ones that escaped from prison. She said, oh, I recognize your clothes you got on. <laughs> and uh, I said, we just want something to eat. She said, well, come on in. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, 
wow. So I go and find him because he took off running. And uh, we go in there. And I'm apologizing to this lady. You know, I'm just continuously saying, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean no harm or whatever. She was fine with it. And I said, uh, are you here by yourself? And she said, no, my husband's in there. And I'm thinking, gun. And so I had a stick. And I go in there. And he's just sitting on the edge of the bed smoking a cigarette. And he just kind of looks up at me. And I tell him basically the same thing I said to her. And this guy is real nervous as someone would be. I mean, you know what I mean? But he tells her to heat us up some pizza or something. And uh, so we go in there and come to find out these people were, you know, a lot like us. They drank parties and smoked pot or whatever. And um, she said she had this Domino's pizza and there's like only a couple pieces of it. She said, well, I got some homemade lasagna. I'm thinking, all right, man. And listen, now I haven't eaten two days at that time. And this lady heated up this lasagna, and it was so disgusting, I couldn't, I couldn't eat it. And uh, bless her heart. But anyway, so we, we're we there, and they tell us that the brother-in-law is going to be coming over and that uh, he might not be so welcoming to us being there. And, um, and I was like, whatever. And so I stand behind the door, and she's like, let me tell him, you know, what's going on. And I'm standing there, and um, they open it. So I'm listening to what she's saying, and he says, what, they're in here? And so he tries to come on in, and he sees me. And he's trying to act all cool. He tells me he's been out watering his marijuana plants or something. Or other. He breaks out a big old bag of weed. And uh, there we go again. Thinks it's going to be a good idea to, to smoke some marijuana. Wrong. Horrible idea. I smoke it. Paranoid. And so now I'm, I'm questioning everything that's going on. Why are these people so nice? And this, that, and the other. And So they ended up giving us some clothes. Uh, gave us a little bit of money. And um, we leave. And... Uh, we started out on one direction, and I tell the guys with his name is Joe, and I tell him, I said, man, we ought to turn around and go back the other way. I think these people are going to tell. And he said, no, nah, they ain't going to tell, man. We'll be just fine. I said, I don't know, man. I, I'm pretty sure they're going to tell. But I kept on. I should have went with myself, and I didn't. And we keep on walking. And later that night, here's a prison van out of the blue driving down this road. And I said, see, I told you. I knew it, man. So we, um, we just keep on, man. We're in the woods now, and we get – to the end of this um, like wood line it's like at the end of the road and i see two straight two, two state tennessee state trooper cars sitting there and so uh, what are we going to do man you know what i mean we're trying to get to water again and uh, there's supposed to be a spring somewhere through there and uh, so we sit there it gets daylight and um uh one cop leaves and another one's still sitting there but it's probably about i don't know maybe 10 o'clock in the morning something like that and we're sitting there and we're like, we're hit pretty good. We're in some pretty thick woods. And all of a sudden behind me, I hear just something coming through the trees. It sounds like, and by the time I turn to look and it's an owl in the daytime and it's coming straight down, like dude is something. And he ducked his head at the right time or it's an owl. I don't know what the owl is going to do. If he's going to try to, if he thought he was some kind of animal or something, but it was some crazy shit. And, um, finally this, this cop goes and we get to cross the road and we find the spring, we get something to drink and, by this time now, it's, it's starting to get dark again. In my opinion, we should have been moving at dark, not during the day, but whatever. And we're in this we're in this barn, and all of a sudden, this this truck comes flying up in there. And so we have to run out behind it, and they got these dogs, and they were coon dogs. I've come to find out, I didn't know at the time. I thought they was you know looking for us, but it had just started drizzling rain, and uh, this one dog comes so close to me, I could have kissed it on its nose, and it kept on going. And so they go off into the woods, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. Well, they come, and they, and they leave, but they're still calling for a dog. So I'm thinking, well, one of them dogs must be gone, lost, or whatever. 
And so they leave, and we go in this barn, and we're sitting there. And it gets daylight, and I look over to my right, and there's that dog, and I can smell a skunk. He'd been sprayed by a skunk. But the dog was almost like he knew it. He needed to tree us, and he had us, but he wasn't barking and growling or anything like that. And so we decided we're gonna we're gonna go on. We're gonna walk, and uh, we do. And um, it's daylight, so we've been seen by so many people. And we come up to the Amish community in there, and we're walking through there, and all of a sudden I see all the cops. I mean, man, they are everywhere. And uh, like we were just some real desperados, you know. They had already caught the other guy who had the life sentence of course we didn't know we found this out after the fact well they uh it's in june and it's hot i mean it's hot and they got us on one of them old church rock roads and it's like where the oil and stuff's coming up out of it and we're laid down on it and i ain't got nothing on but a pair of shorts i was real smart not to have my shirt on i knew what they was gonna do again you know i'm so smart at this time and so they get us and they get us in a van and then we got state troopers in front of us and we got state troopers behind us and they stopping traffic for us to come through. I mean, really like we done killed the president or something. I mean, it was some real crazy shit. And so they uh, take us down to the little county jail first. And then uh, they transport us on to Nashville to uh, River Bend Maximum Security Institution. I had tick bites. I'm talking about tick bites and chigger on every single part of my body, even on the tip of my, you know what, and, uh, Oh, it was miserable, man. It was miserable. It was so bad that they put me in medical for the weekend. And, you know, in prison, you don't get to go to medical just for anything. Um, and so that's that's just how bad it was. I think they was worried that I might have got Lyme disease or something. But anyway, they separated me and him. And this was in June. And so they, what they do is they put us on maximum security. So you have a D-board hearing. And um, they gave me six months in a hole. And then maximum security, and that's up to them when they're going to let you off of it. You want to have a review at that time for three years. So you know you're going to do at least three years in, in solitary confinement. With the six months of it, the first six months of it, I had to do it without anything. I was able to read, and uh, and I educated myself, done these different things. But um, the day they arrested us, when they took us down to that county jail there in that county, the detectives was trying to say that we had done all kinds of stuff. Kept asking us about a gun. Didn't either one of us have a gun. Basically, what they were doing is they're going to try to charge us with a bunch of stuff, but uh, uh, we didn't know what was going on, and uh, they started asking us about that, that deal about the house or whatever. And uh, I told them I want a lawyer. You know, what I mean, that's the best. That's all you got to say to them. And they got to stop questioning you. And Joe did the same thing. So he said, "Well, I'm going to charge you with um, aggravated home invasion, aggravated kidnapping, and aggravated robbery for what we did there." I didn't do any of that. Uh, the woman let us in and all that stuff. I don't say anything. Well, time goes on and it's getting November and we still haven't heard anything about it. Well, all of a sudden, they up and call us to court on the mor on this morning in November. And we go and I'm like, man. But we had to go on escape charge too, and that's the county would come out of. So we really wasn't sure what was what we were facing. And um, so we go down there to that county. We walk in the courthouse and there's that woman. And I said, oh, my God, man, you know, we're going to get charged all that. And at this time, they would let you get somewhat close to people a little bit. You know, she'd have to stay about four feet away or something like that. And uh, she comes over, oh, I'm so glad to see you and all this stuff. And I said, I'm not glad to see you. She said, I'm not here for that. She said, I didn't divorce that guy I was with. I'm married to another guy. He's in jail. <laughs> and so I was like, whew, you know, I, I got by that one. And so um, 
Come to find out, what happened was the day that we left there, as I told you, the husband was nervous, and I guess after the fact, it got him feeling a, a little way, and I can understand that, you know, because he may have felt like he didn't properly protect his home or whatever. And so uh, he called the police and told them that I kicked the door in and that I tied them up and that I robbed them and done all this stuff, but she told them, no, that was a lie, that she let me in and everything. So there was just, you know, wasn't nothing they could do, but they wanted to. And had they done that, I would have never gotten out. I would have done the rest of my life in prison. And so uh, they give us the two years for it added on. And so for that, in total, I got the six months in the hole and I got four years on maximum security. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation and there's probably going to be some people who hear this, well, at least I hope anyway, who uh, I don't hope that you were in that situation, but I hope people are going to listen to it. <laughs> and, uh, um, they, uh, after four year mark, they decided they was going to finally let me off max or whatever. But listen, man, that's a long time for somebody to be in solitary confinement. I mean, again, I'm not one of these people who don't think you, you don't deserve to be punished for stuff because you do. And I, I deserve to be punished for that. And, um, uh, they did. And, um, the problem with that kind of stuff is, is that you become so antisocial that, being around people is nervous and uh that i got off i think in november i'm pretty sure it's november because it's getting really close to christmas time and there in nashville at river bend uh, churches do a lot of stuff for you for christmas and um, i was on what's called close security which means i was still in a cell by myself i got out more and i didn't have to have handcuffs and shackles when i came out and um they uh the, the church people were coming around and they was giving us like a grocery bag full of like uh, just food and these, these different things. And they got to my door and I was freaking out. I was pouring sweat because I didn't want them to open my door. I did not want them to open my door. I mean, that's how bad that it messed with me. Um, and I finally got to where I, I got past it, but I still today find myself where if I'm in a room, I want my back to the wall. I don't want nobody behind me, but that's rare. But I still find it. But I've come a long way from it. But um, I'd like to say that was the only time I spent in isolation. It wasn't. Uh, I did a total of nine years in solitary confinement, four, three, and two, uh, for various things. Um, the escape, you know, and then some other stuff, a couple of little salt stuff. They made it out to be a lot worse than what it was. Um, well, the first one really was. It was pretty bad, but it was on the other guy. Uh, my life was threatened, and so that's what I did. And um more to the story is is the mind of a drug addict, the thinking that we do, and they call it stinking thinking. You know, today standing here as a sober man and, and being sober for a while, I you, you, all this stuff comes back to you, your serotonin and everything gets right, and you sit there and think, was I really that dumb to think that was a good idea? And apparently I was, because I sure done the dumb shit. Uh, and so what we got to do, that's the thing that we got to change when we get ready to get sober is first and foremost, you got to put your feet down, man, and decide, Hey, I'm doing this thing. I'm going to stay sober. And that's that. Nothing's going to change that. Nothing's going to stop that. And that's where it starts at. And then you start changing this guy right here, your mind up there. You know, uh, you got to put your mind at peace. You got to know that the past is a past. You got to let it go to move forward. But if we can do that, you'll be amazed. And it's not just with it. It's not just with addiction. It's with anything that's holding you back. Whatever it is 
that's holding you back from stepping out on that cliff and taking that jump and believing and having faith that God's going to get you through it and do all right. You got to get rid of that negative. Remember, anything negative is not from God. That's the evil one. Everything positive is God. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to shine. Success for everyone is not the same. And I'm not saying that, you know, success for you is to be a millionaire or to be famous or to win the lottery. Whatever your idea of sec- of success is, go and get it, man. Go do it. You know, think about somebody like me who's been, I mean, down at the bottoms of the bottoms. And I finally let God in control. God leads the way now, not me. All this is not me. It's God doing it. He's leading the way, man. I'm just doing the footwork. And he'll do the same thing for you. Each and every one of you listening, you just have to do it. And you have to believe and have that faith. If, if, if he can change a man like me, and I'm by far not the worst man in the world. And never was the worst man in the world. But I've done a lot of bad shit. And, and for him to forgive me, I know he'll forgive you. Just remember that. Have faith. Stand on it. Do the footwork. And man, just watch what God will do in your life. You'll be so amazed. I love each and every one of you. Again, if you need anything, my email is danegentrypodcast at gmail.com. Danegentry without an S, danegentrypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach me on Discord as well at dane0636. Everybody have a good day. God bless and thank you for all your support.